Well, there are times when you're listening or you're worshiping like this, and it just seems like you don't want it to end. I don't know if you've ever been in those sort of services where you're just worshiping the Lord and you don't want it to end. Sometimes we have been, Becky and I have been at a concert or a symphony, and we get so caught up in it that when it's over, you're disappointed and you just, you know, you find yourself clapping and crying encore. You know, at the opera, I only do it because Becky says I'm supposed to do it. I'll go bravo, 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 you know, but I'm glad when that one's over. But uh, <laughs> there are some things you just don't want to see end. You know, you don't want to see your children grow up because you like that time of life. You just so many things. Well, tonight we're going to take a, a glimpse into heaven. And I'll speak on chapter 4 tonight, but I'll have to come back and speak on it again next week. There's a possibility I'll have to do three messages just to exhaust chapter 4. But chapter 4 and chapter 5 are actually one long element together in the apocalypse. And that's why you need to keep just reading ahead like I encourage you to every week. Because everything that's happened in chapter one, and then those seven letters to the seven churches that we've looked at and I summed up last week. And if you haven't been here, you want to go and listen to the summary online and follow that summary to kind of know where we're at. This this has been preparing you for chapter 4. And you've got to remember that all of this was read at that first church of Ephesus and then all the rest of the churches. And so what you're reading here is not a hard break from those seven churches. Those seven churches had issues that had to be addressed before they were ready to hear this. And so tonight we're going to pick up and we're going to look and just get a glimpse into heaven. When I read this chapter, something really stands out to me, and if you'll read carefully from chapter 4 through 19, you'll notice the church is never mentioned in chapter 4 through 19. And that's a very important point to remember because what you're seeing is you're seeing something in heaven, and you're seeing the preload to everything that's going to take place after this. And so now we start that part where it's going to become real important that you follow along with me, your notes. You can understand it. It's not difficult to comprehend. It's not difficult to understand. But you got to remember the seven churches, a suffering church, a wealthy church, a lukewarm church. You've got to remember a busy church that was doctrinally correct and doctrinally pure, but they'd lost their first love. You've got to remember all of that and how this ties in because what's going on in your life can affect how you see heaven. What's going on in your life can affect how you see the hand of God. Bitter people often don't see the hand of God at work in their lives at all. Ungrateful people fail to recognize what God is doing in their lives. Busy people fail to see what God is doing all around them. I promise you today, 
there have been miracles happening around you and around me that we're not even aware of and how God has guarded lives. And that's not just piety talking. That's just the truth of what life is really all about. There is a living God very involved in our lives. When Becky and I have moved throughout the course of our life, when we've moved into a new home, we've always gone in, we've dedicated that home to the Lord. I'll walk through from the basement all the way up to the attic. We'll pray over those homes. We've prayed over some houses. I pray over motel rooms when I go in there because I never know what's happened in those motel rooms. And I just go in there and, and when I pray over them, I don't go around trying to cast out demons and stuff like that. I get phone calls from people sometime who, who've heard about what God has done at our church and I've got calls saying, would you come cast, there's a, there's a ghost in my house or there's a demon. I get those kinds of wacko calls and I always refer them to First Church down the street. So we don't do that, but they do. No, I don't. I really don't. I want to, but I don't. And uh, I say, no, we don't do that. But there's a number of you in here. I've gone and I've dedicated your home. I've prayed over your bedrooms, your bathrooms, your living rooms, your basements, your garages, your family rooms. And we just go through and we just fill the house with praise. Recently, I went through my son's house and did the same thing with them. There's just certain portions of Scripture from the Bible that I pray. And we give God thanksgiving and praise over every room in the house. I believe that's important. I believe that when you fill your life with praise, it transforms you. I believe that when you fix your eyes upon Jesus and you worship Him, and, and I believe this because it's what the Word of God says, that there is power in praise and worship. The Bible says it binds up princes and nobles. And in a spiritual sense, I think that means it binds up the powers of darkness, that they can't come against you. In a political sense, Washington is not the focus. When we read chapter 4, Washington or Moscow or London or Peking or anywhere else in the world, that's not the focus. Heaven is the focus. And if you are focused upon Him who is in control of all things, it's not that what happens in Washington or Lansing or Moscow or anywhere else is not important, but when you focus upon what is important, history can be changed. It was not an accident that in the 67 war when Israel was attacked on three sides by nations deciding to drive them out of the sea, having to divide their armies up onto three fronts. And those of you that have studied military history, you know how dangerous it is to get your line too thin. It was not an accident that God moved and helped that tiny little Israeli air force to wipe out the, the Egyptian Air Force sitting on the tarmac provided by the Soviet Union. It was not an accident that just at the right time there was a sandstorm that blinded the Egyptian tanks and they were able to be picked off one by one. I remember as a boy studying that and over the years I've read more and more about it and I see the invisible hand of God at work. There's a menorah that stands in front of the Knesset. I've been there. And the menorah is the chosen symbol of Israel because the menorah represents the sevenfold spirit of God, the seven lamps of God. And what they're confessing there and what's written on the bottom of that menorah is what we say often in our churches. It's not by might. It's not by power. If you know the rest of it, say it with me. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so tonight, my goal is this evening first, let's sense the atmosphere. 
let's look into heaven tonight because that's what's happening. God is parting the curtains and letting you and I see what's going on in heaven. So I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me as we go to Revelation chapter 4. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven and the same voice I'd heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. That's the voice of Jesus in chapter 1. The same voice I heard before. Now, it's important I take you back there. That's why we did the review last week. And the voice, <clears throat> the, the voice that spoke like a trumpet blast said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must happen after this. And instantly, I was in the Spirit. Doesn't mean he was taken up into heaven physically, but somehow or another in the Spirit, he was able to see what had happened. He was able to, to visit. And there's all kinds of books about heaven today. And there's all kinds of ridiculous things published about heaven. But they never reveal to you in these, some of these books. And I've read some of them and I just end up tossing them and won't even recommend them. Because they're frivolous, full of froth. They never bring you before the God of eternity that you're going to meet in chapter 4. The God before whom everybody falls and surrenders. And initially I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven. And someone's sitting on it. That's important. Some of these books you hear God describe, no Jew is going to describe God. There's been two revelations of God. The revelation by His Word and the revelation through Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. The revelation by His Word and the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you see Jesus, you see what the Father is like. And here now you read the full power of this. He doesn't go into detail about him. He just says, and someone's sitting on the throne. I don't know about you, but I get chill bumps just reading this and thinking about it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. And 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. These are not indoor lamps. These are blazing lamps. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. And in the front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. And the first of these living beings was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. And each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. And day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, love, 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 peace, peace, peace. Grace, grace, grace. Is that what it says? You never hear God being addressed in triplicate like that. But the very thing that human beings shudder at, that peace and grace and joy and love flow out of, is what they confess in heaven and what we confess upon earth and what we want God to do in our lives. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Can we give him a hand of praise tonight? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. 
and they lay their crowns before the throne saying you are worthy O Lord our God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased amen amen and amen let's give him one more hand of praise Lord Jesus I thank you my heart bubbles 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 with joy and yet Lord my mind trembles with fear God to handle this passage tonight and if you tarry next Wednesday night as well so I pray that Lord now that as we look at this passage God would you strengthen every fearful heart would you strengthen every anxious heart? Would you strengthen, Lord, every worried heart? Would you humble every proud heart? Would you humble, Lord God, every hardened heart? Would you touch those, Lord, who have felt distant from you? For we are in the presence of God Almighty. Lord, we thank you for the revelation of Jesus for his incarnation, for showing us and teaching us, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We thank you for the word that we hold in our hands that is alive and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, Lord, not just for understanding tonight of the text, but for every single one of us, I pray that we will have a personal encounter with you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated and follow along with me tonight. Well, as I've already mentioned to you, the trumpet blast is the voice of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing that this resurrected Lord of ours, that when he speaks, the trumpet blast is one of authority, it's one of power. It's not the tender, meek voice that you often think of of our Lord when you read the Gospels, but now you see him in all of his glory. Now you see him as he is. We talked about this in the very first chapter of, of Revelation. You see him truly according to what he said in Matthew 28, that all authority and all power in heaven and earth have been given to him. I've often used this illustration before to, to to teach us the difference between authority and power and how that authority and power are invested in Jesus. And that is that a police officer has the authority to stop traffic, but he doesn't have the power to stop traffic. A traffic light has the authority to stop traffic, but it doesn't have the power. We choose to obey the laws, but Christ has both the power and the authority both to do and to make happen what he says is going to happen. And why that's important to you and I is Jesus has given authority and power to you and I to minister in his name. And when we minister or when we pray for the sick or when we worship, we do not do it upon our own authority or in our name, but we do it in the authority and the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And we expect results when we pray and when we give and when we minister and serve in his name. John says that he was called up into heaven, and I think tonight it's important because I know some of you have asked me about this. The Bible records three heavens. Paul talks about being called up into the third heaven, and of course the first heaven is the atmosphere around the earth that protects our earth from, from uh, 
all of the space fragments that come through, whether it's a meteorite or a comet or something of that nature. But then there's what we know as space and interstellar space. But beyond that, the Bible speaks of a third heaven, and that's the very throne room of God. That's in the very presence of God. And friends, that's just as real as the planet we live upon. That's just as real as the interstellar space that we send our space probes and our our satellites into. That throne room of heaven is just as real. And what you're seeing is not a facsimile of heaven, but John is actually looking in by the Spirit into the throne room of heaven. And the reason that's important is because the one who sits on that throne, the very end of this chapter, it was by his will that all things created exist. We are the temporary. We're, our planet is the temporary. Heaven is the eternal. Can we give him a hand of praise for that tonight? So you're getting a glimpse into what will last forever and ever. Jesus says something to John in Revelation chapter 4 that I think is important to look at tonight as well. He says, I will show you what must happen after this. And if you're wondering why I'm putting the scripture references first, Revelation 4.2, I'm going to try something for a little while. Recently, I was reading that if you put the scripture reference before the verse that people will tend to remember and find it easier than if you put it as a tag. And so I'm hoping that by going through this, this may be one more way to just kind of link things into your mind and you'll be able to find them easier as you study. Whatever is going to take place, we're looking at, first of all, heaven and the praise and the worship that happens there. I'll talk about that a little bit more next week. I'll close with three important things that I think that we need to understand that will happen through, from chapter 4 through chapter 19. But one of the reasons that John is allowed to see into the throne room is because of the tribulation and the trials that those seven churches are going through. Remember, some of those churches were going through extreme persecution, and some of them were going to die for their witness and die for their faith. And by seeing the heavens open and by hearing this word of God that would be quickened to their hearts by the Spirit, this encouraged them and this strengthened them. This gave them a reason to worship God. It's what I fear often happens with Western Christians today is because we have tried to reduce Christianity to mere pop psychology to make us feel good or to get what we want. Life is not about making us feel good or getting what we want. Life is about worshiping the Father and doing His will upon this earth. It's the reason we pray daily, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in and you're seeing where the will of God is being done this evening. The second thing I want you to see this evening is how the presence of God just predominates everything. It dominates everything that's going on in heaven. And what John, what Jesus wants John to see, I believe, is this. Is he wants him to see that God's presence even dominates what's going upon this earth. We don't know why. We don't know how long sometimes that evil things happen upon our planet. We do know that the reason that evil happens is because people are evil and people do evil things. Recently, somebody said uh, in, a, in, a, in a magazine article I was reading, they said, why does God allow such evil things to happen? And the person they were asking asked them this question, why did you choose not to do anything about it? And I think that's what we did tonight. Something evil and awful happened. Leslie lost her home and we gave tonight to try and help and we're doing something about 
about that by loving them and Jimmy and Melina this evening. Revelation chapter 4, 2, I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The throne is mentioned 11 times in this chapter, and that's important to remember and to understand. Because on this throne, it's very important that you understand that John helps us to see who's on the throne, what's going on on the throne, what's coming from the throne, who's in the center of the throne, what surrounds the throne, and what's being directed towards the throne, and what's being, what's, who's standing in front of the throne. If you'd like to write those down, I'll say them real slowly, okay? And just do some shorthand real quickly here. Who's on the throne? What's going on on the throne? What's coming from the throne? Who's in the center of the throne? What's coming or going towards the throne? And then who surrounds the throne? Those are all important to Revelation 4 through 19. Don't forget that. You, you want to really study that later as you read the word. You want to look at this because this is not just looking into heaven, but you're going to see something that is going to be key to what's happening in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, and especially then following that. In Revelation chapter 4, 7, I want you to look at something very important. The first of these living beings was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. These, according to not only the Jewish people, but according to the Greeks, represented all of creation. And interestingly enough, what you're looking at here is you're looking at man being the apex of creation here, but they're all crying out, they're all giving worship to God. And in the beginning, that was what creation was supposed to do. Ruth Graham Bell's father, Nelson Bell, wrote a wonderful book about Genesis <clears throat> and about creation. And I remember reading that in my early 20s as he took and put, took various Bible passages that, that talked about creation. And he talked about what the original creation must have been like and how he taught this in China to the Chinese Christians before you know, they were kicked out of China during the war. And as I read his book, one of the most clear things that came through to me is what I also see in the book of Revelation, that all of creation was created to bring glory and honor to God. God is not someone who is self-centered or self-serving. God is not an egomaniac, but there's something about God that you have got to understand. And I find modern human beings struggle with this more than what people in my generation did or what people who came before us was. And somehow or another, they see that God desiring all glory and honor and praise, that somehow God must be on an ego trip. Friends, all of creation is tied up in God in his holiness. What came forth in creation came forth from the very holy heart of God that was created. And the only way we're going to work together in unity and sync together and find our purpose and our being, it is not each of us trying to find our destiny. Our destiny is found in Jesus Christ. And that is important to understanding. What you're beginning to get a picture here is the worship goes on. You were created, as the Westminster Confession says, to enjoy glorifying God forever and ever. You will never know true meaning and peace and satisfaction in life until you learn to love how to worship and praise God. 
And worship is not just singing songs, although I love to do that. Worship is when we give. Worship is when we have our quiet times at home. Worship is when a mom takes care of her children. Worship is when a father loves his wife the way Christ loves the church and brings his children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Worship is the preaching of God's word and hearing and receiving and applying God's word. Worship is doing the best quality work that we can do with what we've been given to do with. All of life is worship, and that's what the Westminster Confession was getting at, and that's what you're going to see in Romans chapter, excuse me, in Revelation chapter 4 through 19, is all of life finds its purpose in God, and the reason that the world is in such a tizzy, and the reason that you'll see everything that's taught in Revelation about the great tribulation and about the millennial kingdom, all that you'll see about that is because the world's rebellion We want to be God rather than God be God. Because that's why Romans says that evil people try to suppress the word of God or the knowledge of God. Because if there is a God, then you have to acknowledge him and say, I've got to live life on his terms and not my terms. And that's a very important point to understand. What we're also seeing tonight is a picture of worship in heaven. A picture of what worship is truly like. As a matter of fact, the picture of worship in heaven does not contradict the worship that takes place in the Old Testament temple and tabernacle. Some of what you see right here in this picture, and I'll deal with this more next week, you'll see in the Old Testament temple and tabernacle. As a matter of fact, have any of you ever just done a study or a small group on the temple or the tabernacle before? Anybody? Okay, maybe sometime, one person, maybe sometime we'll just have to do, and Becky does a great job of that. I'll have Becky teach one night or one series of messages on the tabernacle or the temple because all of that furniture, you see the heavenly being. Remember, Moses was seeing a picture of what was in heaven, and that was what they were putting in the tabernacle to be able to teach the people of God. And you're seeing all of this you see something, though, more spectacular in the book of, of, excuse me, in the New Testament, and that is when Jesus Christ died and the veil of the temple was written to, suddenly the temple worship was done away with because the reality came and dwelt among us according to the book of Hebrews. The high priest is living in our hearts tonight. The high priest is interceding for us. The sacrifices have been made once and for all, there is no longer the Mount Zion that we go to in Jerusalem. The church is the Mount Zion tonight. We are here in the presence of God to offer up praise and worship to him. Can we give him a hand of praise this evening? This is better than syrup and biscuits. I'm telling you, this is the kind of stuff that will make you grow once you learn to understand it and you grasp hold of it. Look at how the heavenly, well, let me read the, this verse first, Revelation 4, 4. The 24 thrones surrounded him, surrounded 24 thrones that these elders were sitting upon, and 24 elders sat upon them. They were all clothed in white, and they had gold crowns on their heads. I really want to talk about that a little bit tonight, but I'm going to deal with it much more next week. But it's very important that you understand, when you look at this, this is not angels, Because nowhere in the Bible are we told that angels get crowns, human beings get crowns. And what did Jesus just promise to those seven churches, to some of those people in those churches? You will receive a crown. 
you will receive a crown. And you get a crown when your faith is tried. And those crowns are very important because they have to do with your dignity. They have to do with your glory. They have to do with your perseverance. They have to do with your faith. They have to do with your trials. And so don't just look at this and go, oh, well, what are 24 elders? I'm telling you, this is talking about you and me tonight as well. Now, there are, I believe there are little 24 elders, but, and we'll talk about who they are next week, but it's important that you understand you and I are going to get a crown. And I'm going to tell you, getting a crown doesn't make me happy at all. That is not the point of this. I could not imagine having to walk. I don't even like to wear a ball cap on my head. Okay? The point is, it's what the crown represents that's so important. And we'll talk about that next week. The heavenly beings, they, these, they begin to worship. And look at what they say in verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist before because you created what you pleased. It's like they don't get weary of worshiping the Lord. They don't get weary of praising God. They, they don't get weary of bringing this praise to the Lord. I have gone to churches and I have understood, and I, this sounds very, very mean, and I, please forgive me. I don't mean it to be mean, but I've gone to churches and I've understood why the worship wears them out. Because nobody seems very happy to be there. The pianist doesn't seem to be happy to be there. The praise and worship leader doesn't happen to be there. The choir leader doesn't seem to be happy to be there. And they've got magnificent things. But then I've gone to little churches sometimes where they don't have anything like we have or like some other churches have. They've got one little upright piano on the side over here. They've got some junior high kid that doesn't know how to play the drums very well, but he's happy to be there. They've got several grandmas on the platform that are just happy to be there. And they've got a choir leader that looks like a Canadian goose trying to take off as he's leading praise and worship. And I leave that place energized and on fire because God is honored when we are eager to come into his presence and worship him. We don't impress him with our perfection. We don't impress him with our talent. We don't impress him with trying to get our T's crossed and our eyes dotted. We impress him when we come with eager hearts. We're in the presence of God and we want to worship him tonight. <laughs> Hallelujah. And that's good for people like me because I make a joyful noise. It may not be the right noise to make at the time, but it's doggone good. Whoops, I shouldn't have said that. It's going to be joyful. Amen. Can't believe I just said that. Rick, that's your fault. I want you to look at this passage. I want you to, and, and we're going we're gonna to look at two Old Testament passages because this is so key. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, read it with me, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It's almost like you're seeing a repeat. John is seeing what Isaiah saw. Now remember, this is important because we're talking about praise and worship. We're talking about pure hearts in praise and worship. Because when Isaiah saw the Lord, he went, woe is me, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man. And you've got to understand, John felt this. When he saw the Lord, he fell at his feet. And some people, they act like they can just come in any old way before God, unconfessed sin, 
bitter hearts, you know, deceptive, and somehow or another, that's going to please God. Isaiah fell before the Lord. Woe is me. God touched him and cleansed him. I, I don't have time to preach on that. <clears throat> touched him, cleansed him, and then he heard the heart of God. And never forget this. He heard the heart of God. Who will go for me? Who will I send? And Isaiah, this is the mark of a person that has seen the Lord. Here am I, Lord. Send me. It's not, Lord, this is what I want you to do for me. It's here, my Lord, send me. There was another prophet in the Old Testament that had something similar. I didn't put it in your outline, but I told you where you could go look at it later. But let me just read you some portions from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1. I saw a great storm coming from the north, driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. This is the Shekinah glory of God. There was fire inside the cloud, and in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber. And from the center of that cloud came four living beings that looked human, except that each had four faces and four wings, and their legs were straight and their feet had hooves like those of a calf and shone like burnished bronze. Remember, we talked about that was judgment. Under each of their four wings, I could see human hands. And so each of the four beings had four faces and four wings, and the wings of each living being touched the wings of the beings beside it. And he goes on and he describes, the, again, the human face, the face of the lion, the face of the ox, the face of the eagle. Then let me just skip on down. <clears throat> and then I saw... The wheels that were made of barrel and all four wheels looked alike and they were the same and each wheel had a second wheel turning crosswise within it and the beings could move in any of the four directions they faced without turning around. Then I want to skip down just a little further and spread out above them was a surface like sky glittering like crystal and beneath this surface the wings of each living being reached out and touched the other's wings and they sounded to me like waves crashing. And then just listen to this. I'm skipping all through it. Then there was something that looked like a throne made of blue lapis lazuli. And on the throne high above was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like gleaming amber flickering from a fire. And from his waist down, he looked like a burning flame shining with splendor. And all around him was a glowing halo like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. And when I saw it, I fell down on my face to the ground. You say, Pastor, why are you bringing that out? Because there is no change after century, after century, after century. God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what was seen six to 800 years before the birth of Christ was seen about AD 90 when John had this vision of heaven. It's the same, and I'm going to tell you, it's the same presence of God that is with us tonight. And that's the reason your pastor struggles with some of the mania that I hear going on sometimes where people talk about giving their angels nicknames and where people talk about gold dust falling out of heaven and where people talk about heaven being this big playground. They obviously haven't seen what Ezekiel, Isaiah, and John saw. Because when you see it, even Paul said, I was told I couldn't talk about it. And so it's important that we understand if you cheapen heaven in your mind, if you cheapen who God is in your mind, if you cheapen who the holy angels are, then when you come against persecution like these seven churches would come against, you won't be ready for it because your God won't be big enough. And what's going to happen from chapter 4 through 19, and this is the reason why people don't like to read Revelation, 
is because they see all of these symbols, they see all of these judgments, and they see all of this stuff happening. And first of all, they don't realize that the church is not going through the great tribulation. I know there are some people that tell you, and I dealt with this in the very first part. There are some people that are going to tell you the church is going to go through the first part, and some people say the church is, not, is going to go through all of it. You don't find the church mentioned in chapters 4 through 19. He's already said, I will protect you from that great tribulation that's coming upon the earth. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this evening? So you imagine what the great tribulation is going to be like when you know what persecution against Christians that have been during the church age has been like and the torture that has happened. Some of our students wanted me to go with them to see a movie out that was out recently and I couldn't go with them called Silence about how the missionaries were tortured when they went to Japan. You know, I have the book and it, for, you know, it's just such a difficult movie to watch. Have any of you watched that movie? Do you know the movie I'm talking about? It's a difficult movie to watch. I've been in places in the world where people have been tortured, literally tortured for their faith not just shot, but just treated inhumanely for their faith. I was watched and was helped. There was nothing we could do when a man who sold us a piece of property in one country was tarred in feather, was tossed into hot tar and then covered in feathers, and he died as they drug him outside of town just for selling us a piece of property to build a church upon. And I want you to think tonight if that's what tribulation is like before the great tribulation is like, comes, what will it be like upon the face of this earth? And that's why it's important that you and I know who God is so that if we do face a time of testing, our God is bigger than any mountain or any power that we can see. We can laugh at Washington. We can laugh at Moscow. We can laugh at Pyongyang. We can laugh at any power in this world because we know the center of the world is not some capital. The center of the world is the throne of God in heaven. Can we give him another hand of praise tonight? And when you really, really know that, this is important, when you really, really know that, and you want to worship you want to praise. You want to dedicate your home to the Lord. Well, I, I'm out of time, so let me just pick it up real quick. John was not curious, and John was not seeking a vision. He was worshiping the Lord. Please don't take this chapter from Revelation and go, I want to have a vision, you know, work yourself. Some people can work themselves up to where they see things that are not there. John was worshiping, and by the way, does anybody remember from John chapter one what day he was worshiping on? The Lord's Day. That's why we do a review. The Lord's Day. What's the Lord's Day? Sunday. If it had been Sabbath, he'd have said Sabbath. He was worshiping on Sunday. I'll tell you one thing. You're more likely to encounter having a genuine experience with God when you obey God and follow the principles that he lays out for you in his word than trying to work yourself up to have. When you're faithful, God will give you everything you need. You and I are invited to worship. <clears throat> Revelation 4.10, I gave you that already. Let's skip down. Why do they cast down their crowns? I think it's important to understand as you read the rest of this book, humility is not humiliation. And that's what excites me about the throne. That's what excites me about the crown. Humility is not humiliation. They are not being humiliated by God. 
I bring things to Becky because I love Becky. I bring flowers to Becky because I, I give gifts to Becky because I love her. To our children, that's not human. It's, it's just one way of being able to say, thank you, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for how you've you, you blessed me, Becky. Thank you for being a part of my life. Humility, God says, if we will humble ourselves, he will exalt us in due time. If we try to exalt ourselves, God will humble us. Okay? And by the way, did you know you can't humiliate a humble man? You can abase a proud man, but you can't humiliate a humble man because you keep your faith in God. The crowns are our personal glory. They're our personal dignity. Why is this so important? Because worship will change our character. Worship will change our countenance. And worship will change our circumstances. Mark, if you'll come on up to the keyboard, bud. If we will worship... If we will praise God, it has an impact on our character. You can't stay the same when you genuinely worship the Lord. And by the way, I turned around and looked at some of you tonight while we were worshiping. Your countenance glows. When you worship, if you stand there like this and Pastor Mark and the team is leading, you know, you just look like a sourpuss. You know, I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to sing. You're not singing for Mark. You're not singing for me. You're singing for the Lord, okay? And when you lift up your voice and you worship the Lord, when you bow before your Lord tonight before you go to bed, and you should get on your knees and just say, Lord, thank you for this day. When you do that, God begins to change your character. God begins to change your countenance. But praise changes our circumstances as well. There's something powerful about praise. The Bible says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The sun comes up in the east behind our house, and it goes down in the west in front of our house. I have walked from the backyard fence to the front side of the street, and I say, Lord, in this house, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, I want your name to be praised every single day by this family. Where the sun comes up here, I have walked this property, and I says, Lord, I want this property. I want people to worship the Lord from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. I want your name to be praised. His name is worthy to be praised. Worship, worship is not when I try to invent nice things to say about God, but worship is when I acknowledge who he is and what he's done and what he's promised to do. I'm telling you, worship, it's not just trying to think up something cool to say to God. But worship is taking time to think about what has God done in my life? Who does God say he is? And what does he promise to do? Look at this with me, J.I. Packer, in a book I've recommended over and over and over to you, so I'll recommend it again tonight if you haven't read it, Knowing God. How can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? The rule for doing this is simple but demanding. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. Leave that up for just a moment if somebody wants to write that down. Meditation is not sitting around staring at your belly button. Meditation is not sitting around and getting an app called Headspace or Calm and listening to soothing music. Biblical meditation is getting before the Lord and taking what he said in his word and thinking about it. 
saying it over to yourself, reemphasizing what the Word of God says. And as you do that, you give Him thanks and you give Him praise. Meditation can sometimes, biblically, when you just sit there and you're thinking about it, maybe your, maybe your mind will go off on an imaginative trail. And you go, what does it look like for a table to be prepared in the wilderness? Maybe you begin to imagine, what would it look like? What would it look like if my life was overflowing with the Holy Spirit? And you begin to imagine relationships, and that's okay. That's what meditation is. The Holy Spirit will bring it back to your attention. Not everybody is wired up. I, for one, am not just to sit around for an hour meditating. Meditation for me happens mostly when I pray. And I just pray those words back to God. And it helps me to worship. It helps me to pray with faith. And it puts my mind on the center of the universe, the throne of God. And when we look at that next week, it is so powerful. But chapter four reveals something else that I just have to tell you tonight. Chapter four reveals God's desire for our love. Chapter 4 reveals God's desire for fellowship with you and me. Chapter 4 reveals God's heart for us. I told you just a few minutes ago, God is not on an ego trip. Once Jesus asked in Luke chapter 17, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? no one once some people were criticizing Jesus because a woman had anointed him and he looked at her and he told him leave her alone leave her alone let me put it in my language you fatheads you have no idea she is anointing me preparing me for my burial and you sit there in judgment and criticism. You don't know who's sitting with you tonight. And that's always been my fear, is that if I'm not careful, I can miss the visitation of the Lord. God wants our love. There's nothing wrong with that. I want your love. I want your love. I want your friendship. You want other people's love and friendship. That is a part of our being created in the image of God. When a person says, I don't need anybody, I don't want anybody, they're denying who they are. They're hiding from who they are. They're hiding from other people and they're hiding from God. The worst song of my generation was me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. Me and Jesus, we got it all worked out. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. That was just a bunch of spoiled teenagers. We need God. God wants our love, and we need each other. The Apostle Paul then, John, then just sets the context for everything that follows in the Revelation. In chapter 4 and 5, worship becomes the key 
to not being afraid of the great tribulation. Worship becomes the key to understanding the millennial kingdom. And worship becomes the key to understanding what our eternal state is going to be. So we're going to spend next week on chapter 4. Then we're going to spend the next two weeks after that on chapter 5. And every time that we come, Mark, I want you to do what you did tonight. I want you to lead us in songs of worship about heaven and about the Lord because I'm telling you, you're getting a glimpse of heaven. I've often told you when I was a little boy, I told my grandmother, I don't want to go to heaven. She said, why? I called her granny. I said, granny, I don't want to go to heaven. She says, why? I said, granny, I don't want to be naked sitting on a cloud playing a harp. You don't see that. All of the pictures we have of heaven from Hollywood and other places, they pale in comparison to what you see in the Word of God. Amen? Let's stand together. Hallelujah. I love you so much, Lord, and I thank you for giving me a glimpse of what heaven is like. I pray that you'll bless these tonight that have come to study your Word. But I pray that you'll also touch us because, Father, other than there being some other tribes and nations that need to hear the word of the Lord. I'm not aware of any prophecy, Lord, that has to be fulfilled before you come back. I do find myself, Lord, as it seems like more and more nations are surrounding Israel. I do find myself, Lord, doing my best not to read the newspapers into Revelation, but God seeing what's taking place today, thinking, could this be the hour? I find myself calling my kids, Lord, and saying, listen, plan like it's going to be 500 years from now. But Andrew, Chris, Ben, Amy, I want you to be ready. Teach my grandsons, Jesus is coming again. Lord, I ask you tonight, make us worshipers in spirit and in truth so that everything that we do, Lord, we are focused not upon the news, but we're focused upon him who sits upon the throne. For it's in Christ's name I pray. And everyone said amen and amen. God bless you. Good night. If you got some questions, I'd love to talk to you about them before you go, but I probably will answer most of them next week, okay?